The following audio is from the Grove Church Snohomish campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Well, again, I want to say welcome to you. And if I haven't met you before, my name is Andrew. My wife, Amanda, and I are the campus pastors here. And if you're a guest with us checking out the church, we want to say welcome to you. Hopefully you've had a great experience thus far. Uh, but today we begin just a two-week series on gratitude. We're calling it uh, Let's Talk Turkey. And uh, I don't know about you, but I love Thanksgiving. But there's always a big debate out there that I think we should settle right here and right now. And that is whether or not you prefer white meat or dark meat. And so I'll tell you which one is going to heaven after we vote. Um, but if you are uh, one of the people in the room, uh, one of the people where I don't know where you're going to spend eternity, and you like dark meat, go ahead and raise your hand. You're a dark meat. Wow. Wow, man. We're going to be putting you on the prayer list. Come on. How many of you are with me today? White meat all the way. There it is. Come on. We're going to be wearing white robes in heaven. The Bible says it. Praise God. Um, it's going to be awesome. But uh, no, so we're talking turkey today. We're talking gratitude and thanksgiving and the importance of, of praise and expressing praise. And um, I think it's cool always in this time of year to have this conversation because uh, there is something very powerful about gratitude. Can I hear an amen? All right, and so I want, I want you to be with me t- today and help me give some uh, support to the message here. But here's how I want to start off today as we're going to talk about expressing gratitude. Next week, we'll talk about how gratitude really improves relationships. But how many of you in here, just by the raise of hands, um, you've ever started a new job? Go ahead and just raise your hand for me. Come on, you started a new job. Okay, a lot of us in here, you know, you've started a new job. How many of you, you've started multiple new jobs? Go ahead and raise your hand. Yeah, absolutely, right? And we all have that feeling of when we start a new job and uh, some of that fear or that insecurity or that pressure of like, you know, that first day or orientation or, you know, what's going to be my assignment or my role when I, you know, first start this new job and what are they going to have me do and assign me to do? Well, um, I had several different jobs growing up. I had a really unique childhood. I was homeschooled my entire life. And so it kind of provided me unique opportunities to do jobs that, you know, other kids couldn't do. And one of the jobs I had uh, was doing a paper route. It was a paper route actually at night uh, for the Seattle Times. And it, when I was thinking about this story, I was also thinking about, um, I used to have a, a game system. It was a Nintendo, the best game system ever. And uh, there was a game back then called Paperboy. I think I have a little picture of it here. Do I have it on the, do I have my Paperboy image? No? Yes? There it is. Yeah, Paperboy. So this is a really, really cool game on the best system ever because this, the way these games worked, if you had this system, uh, you had to like, you know, then put it in and you know, try to get the, anyone? No one? Okay, all right. Everyone's, like, everyone's looking at me like, what is wrong with this guy? But like, you know, sometimes it wouldn't work. You had to get the dust out and blow it. You know, and this game was about like throwing papers at the houses. So it reminded me of this game, but a really, really unique job. Um, I, it was a gal and her son, I don't even really know how I met them, but they would pick me up at about 11 o'clock at night. So again, remember, I didn't have to wake up for school. So I didn't start school till like 1 p.m. Um, and so they, they would pick me up at like 11 o'clock at night, and then we would go to like this shed, and that's where the papers would get delivered. And I'll never forget uh, the first day on the job and my, my assignment. Uh, the lady's name was Liz, and she said, okay, Andrew, so... This is the, these are the papers. I'm like, okay. And I was probably like 13, 14. And she's like, okay, you know, you, you roll them this way. 
not, not this way, you know? And then you wrap them with a rubber band. And because we're delivering in the Northwest, we bag them all, we bag them all. And so it's like a little assembly line, you know, roll, rubber band, bag, roll, rubber band, bag. And so that was the assignment of the job. The other cool thing about this job that has nothing to do with this message was uh, for whatever reason, there used to be a gas station called Texaco. Remember Texaco? Okay. So she had like a Texaco credit card. This is the coolest job ever. She had like a Texaco credit card and she's like, hey, I'm not gonna pay you any money to do this job, but you can go into the store and get whatever you want because you're gonna be working all night. So we would get like Jolt Colas, Pizza Sticks, JoJo's, you know, Mr. Good Bars. I mean, it was just the best job ever. And then, you know, be filled full of junk food and then be delivering uh, newspapers. But that was one of my very, very first jobs. And again, that assignment of the paper roll. Uh, another job I had um, was a, a landscaping job. I worked for a guy extremely particular about lawn mowing lawn lines. And if you've ever done any landscaping, like super particular. I'll never forget uh, showing up for the job and the assignment. And, you know, the first thing is just like, have you ever mowed a lawn before? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I grew up mowing my, you know, my, my family's lawn. Of course I know how to mow a lawn. He's like, no, no, no. Have you ever mowed a lawn? You know, and I'm like, what are you talking about? Yes, I know. You're, you know? And, and he was passionate about this assignment. He's like, let, let me show you how to mow a lawn. And he literally you know, like probably walked this slow, you know, behind the, and, you know, showed me kind of how to turn and, you know, line it up and then create the, and then, you know, he paused and look at me and go, you see those lines? I'm like, yeah. He's like, I want you to create those lines. He was just, he's so anal about lawn mowing lines. And uh, that was like the assignment is to learn how to get the best, you know, lines in the, in the lawn. Uh, recently I've been doing home improvement projects on my house and uh, I was putting, uh, we were putting up some baseboard. Well, one guy was putting up the baseboard and I was doing the caulking. And uh, a buddy of mine, uh, he's been probably doing this since longer than I've been alive, trim work, cabinetry work, finish work. And uh, he, he was uh, watching me caulk the seams on the, on the baseboard. And uh, I felt like I was getting rebuked by the old man. It was awesome. He's like, well, what are you doing there? And I was like, I'm putting caulk on base. He's like, well, you got it on the wall. How, how are you going to get it off the wall? I'm like, I, I don't know. How? You know, show, show me, Obi-Wan. You know, and so, and so he literally like gets his bucket and hot water and rag, and he just shows the rookie how to get caulk, you know, off uh, the, the, the wall. But it's interesting, whenever you start a job, and we all know that feeling, it's like you all want to, we all want to know what our assignment is. What's our responsibility? What, what's required? What's the duty of the job? And what is it that we should do? And, and like any one of us, even if you've been in a boss or a management role, sometimes you're the one having to give, you know, the assignment and the role and how to do certain things. And we all know that kind of that feeling of like the assignment and the responsibility of that assignment and what you should and shouldn't do and how you should do it. Well, today we're, we're going to look at a, a real popular person in the Bible, King David, and maybe you've heard of David, probably from the most famous story of David and Goliath. But, but King David is, is like any boss or any leader in Scripture where he has jobs and he has duties. But as a shepherd boy, he had duties to protect the sheep and all those kind of things. But when he came, became king, he also had duties assigned. 
and assignments to give to people. He had different people that would be in battles for him. He had the different men, uh, David's, you know, 30 men or so that he would assign and give duties to. And he kind of had this, this hierarchy of, of leadership and structure. And he would give people assignments and roles for the, the different responsibilities that they would have. And I got to set this story up for you because it's, it's a little odd in the sense of understanding some Old Testament history and some background. But today we're going to be reading a story out of First Chronicles um, 16. And we're going to meet King David as king of Israel. Now, again, he didn't start there. He started as a shepherd boy and he kind of rose to fame, you know, when he showed up to give some cheese and his bread to his brothers. And uh, the Philistine, Goliath, was like, you know, you come at me, but, you know, and David's like, you're not going to, you know, take out, you know, my people. And David kind of rose to fame basically during that, that story of, of David and Goliath. But I want to kind of set this up for you a little bit uh, of kind of what's going on in King David's life and some of the assignments that he gives here in, in 1 Chronicles 16. So the people of God, they're, they're under the, the kingship of, of King David. He, he, he's basically passionate and wanting so desperately to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to God's people. Okay, now a little bit of a Bible lesson for you just to get us to appreciate and understand of this, okay? The, the Ark of God, okay, it was kind of this, this box thing that had poles covered in gold. Okay, this is a real important thing to the people of Israel. The Ark of God was the reminder to God's people of his presence and his power being with them through the desert. We, we learn about the ark and this, this box that represented God's presence. We learn about this early on in the scriptures in Exodus where Moses is talking to God and he receives the 10 commandments and it's this ark of the covenant, this box that's supposed to be handled properly in certain ways, supposed to be uh, treated with reverence and all represents God's presence being with God's people as they would travel through the desert land. Now, I did a lot of little studying and research, almost did a bunch of like pictures and images to bore you, but I decided to get away from all that. I'm just gonna give you a basic understanding of, of the ark of the covenant. Uh, just so you kind of understand the importance of it, so you can recognize kind of where we're going with this. So this is from one of the, the, the readings I read this week. It says, the Ark of the Covenant was the only piece of furniture in the most holy place. The Ark and its contents were kept hidden from view at all times. The Ark itself was a wooden chest overlaid with pure gold. It contained the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments. It was never to be touched by human hands. In fact, the reason why it hadn't gotten back to King David and God's people is that the Philistines had stolen it from them and they tried to return it back to them. And there was an individual in the scriptures that didn't handle the ark properly and he got killed for it. So that's how important God's presence was to God's people. And they had to follow certain kind of rules and regulations of even handling the ark of God. It was never to be touched by human hands. It had two wooden poles overlaid with gold that were used to transport it. And they were not to be removed from the mark. It was here from between the cherubim that God spoke to Moses, the representative of the people of Israel. Now, here's what it symbolized. The ark itself symbolized, like I said, the covenant agreement established by Yahweh with Israel at Mount Sinai. It symbolizes the very presence of God leading and guiding God's people. It was captured at different times by the Philistines. However, they gave it back to the people of Israel, believing that it would go very bad for them to steal the very essence of God's people. The reason why I'm telling you all about the ark is because we're gonna read just a little bit about it today. And here's what I want you to point, when, I, when we read these scriptures today, what I want you to think about, and then we'll pray here, what I want you to think about is, 
What did David do first? As the Ark of the Covenant is being returned back to God's people, what appointment, what did he think should be the most important thing that should happen now that God's presence has been brought back to where it belongs? And I want you to think about that question as we read the text today. So this is found in 1 Chronicles 16. It says, and they brought in the ark of God. Again, that's why I gave you a little bit of background to the ark of God or the ark of the covenant. Same thing. And they set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord and distributed to all Israel, both man men and women, to each a loaf of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins. Then he appointed, then he assigned, then he gave a job to some of the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord to invoke, to thank, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Just one more time for us here. Then he appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord to invoke, to thank, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. A lot of fun names here. Asphaph was the chief and the second to, to Zechariah. Jeril, Shemruth, Jeril, Matthiah, Elab, Benaniah, Obed-Edom, and Jeril, who were to play harps and lyres. Asphah was to sound the cymbals. And Benaniah and Jazariah, the priests, were to blow trumpets regularly before the ark covenant of God. Now listen to this last one here. Then on that day, David first appointed that thanksgiving be sung to the Lord by Asaph and his brothers. Let's pray for God's word today. God, I thank you for the season of gratitude, for the power of expressing thanks. God, for what it really does to our hearts, to our souls. I thank you today that we get a little window and King David and who he was. We get a little window, God, into what he thought would be so important. And I pray today, God, it would just be a reminder for us of what you want us to do first, of how you want us to wake up every single day, of how you want us to be reminded of who you are, of how good you've been to us, God. And I thank you for this season of gratitude. I thank you, God, that we get to think through what it means to express thanks, what it means to express praise, what it means to give you thanks. Help us today in your good name. Amen. When we think about King David, we know that King David was really just an incredible individual. He, he was known as the man after God's own heart. And before he rose to fame and became, you know, the famous king and conquered Goliath, what we learned early on from David's life as a young boy is that he was a shepherd in the fields. And we know that he played the harp and we know that he sang and worshiped God. And we have the Psalms, all of 150 Psalms are, a lot of them are contributed to David's life and his praise and his worship. And they're so full of gratitude and thanksgiving. So no wonder then that when the ark is now placed in the hands of God's people, 
No wonder then that when the ark is finally where it should be, and again, more history, eventually the ark would move out of a a tent and his son Solomon would build a temple and that's where the ark of the covenant, the ark of God would then stay is in the temple. But no wonder then that when we look at David's life and we realize who he was, that he was this worshiper of God, he was a person that would give God praise, he would write these amazing poetry and and songs, no wonder then that one of the first assignments that he gives in verse 4 here is to invoke and to thank and to praise the Lord. I mean, if you can think about all the different assignments and jobs of people around the Ark of the Covenant, if you can think about all the different things that that should have been done, the way it should have been handled, the way it should have been approached, how it was dealt with, the very first and most important thing that was on David's mind when the Ark has now returned to God's people above any other detail, above any other thing, above any other logistical thing that needed to happen, the thing that David believed should happen is that God's presence, his very presence that has guided us through the desert, his very presence that led us out of captivity in Egypt, his very presence, the thing that we contribute and give God praise for, his living presence represented in this ark, the one thing I want to do before anything else is to invoke and to thank and to give him praise. That's the first thing I want to be done. If you read on in First Chronicles, there's basically, after those seven verses, a, a beautiful song of thanks that David gives. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. If, if you study this kind of passage, it, it relates to different psalms that David is just contributing and giving God incredible praise as first priority. Now, We can't go through the whole Bible today, so we're going to fast forward thousands of years here. But if we fast forward to today, 2019, gratitude, expressing gratitude, giving thanks, here in the middle of November, and we think about this question. Well, back then, they had this ark, represented God's presence. David attributed and wanted people to give first importance, to give thanks. If we think about today, though, Here's a question I want you to think about. Where does God's presence live now? Just think about that for just a minute. Even if you're a Bible scholar and you ought to know the answer. Where where does God's presence live now? If we think about in 2019, and we think about what Christ has done, because now we view everything through Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, when when Christ came, And we think about what he did on the cross and what he did through the power of the resurrection. There's this real, another famous character in the Bible. His name was Paul. And here's what he said about where God's presence now dwells. This is 1 Corinthians 3.16. He says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Think about that verse for a minute. Don't you know that you are God's temple and that God's presence now dwells in your midst? What Paul is saying, and if you read and study Paul, 
What Paul is saying is that this incredible ark that represented God's presence, when Christ came and he basically was the final sacrifice that you and I know of today, he was the mediator between God and man, took upon the sins that you and I face every single day, and they got nailed to the cross, and he rose again, the curtain was torn, the temple was now null and void, and now Paul is saying that when the Holy Spirit came inside of you and me, when we became followers of Christ, we received God's presence, and now his very presence, the essence of God's manifestation of his presence in this life today, his presence now dwells and lives right inside of you and me. This thing that they worshiped, this ark that represented God's presence, this thing that they felt was this holy thing, Paul's now saying that God's dwelling presence is now living inside of me, is now living inside of you. And if the very presence of God now lives inside of every single one of you and me, If his presence now dwells inside of every single one of you and me, what should be the first thing we do? I mean, think about that. King David, one, one of the legend, one of the, one of the most incredible people that we know in scripture today felt that it was so important that God's presence, his very essence, be worshiped be given praise. I love that word to invoke. And now Paul says, that's in you. That's inside of you. And the first thing I want you to do, the first thing I want you to do on a, on a daily basis, the first thing I want you to do in every moment of your life, the first thing I want you to do when you wake up on a Monday at 3 a.m. for work, or you're working graveyard, or you're going away on a trip, or you're spending time with your family the holiday, the first thing I want you to do, the very first thing that should come on your lips before the request, before the adorations, before the worries, before the doubts, one of the first things I want you to do as a Christ believer, as one who has the Holy Spirit inside of you, your first assignment, your first appointment, your first job on the, on the line, your first assignment on the job, is I want you to learn and begin the habit and begin the understanding and begin to recognize that there's something powerful when you first start with thanks and praise. There's something really incredible when you wake up first and foremost and praise and worship and gratitude and thanksgiving is on your lips. In fact, in Proverbs 18, 21, this is one of those verses I, re I remember growing up hearing my, my parents quote to me, probably because we were using it in the wrong way. But the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruits. I mean, didn't James, Jesus' brother, say one time that the tongue is like a, a rudder on a ship and it will control the whole way things will go? See, if we, if we think about that verse just for a minute, can we go back to that verse here? The tongue has a power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruits. There's something incredible that happens when we begin to express and we give God praise. In fact, today's main thought is when gratitude is expressed, hope flourishes. 
When gratitude is expressed, hope flourishes. When you and I get in the habit of praising and thanking and giving God praise for every blessing we have in our lives, we begin to experience the incredible hope of Jesus and what he has to offer us. When gratitude is expressed, hope flourishes. Let me tell you what what gratitude can do, what giving God praise can do. If you're taking notes, I want you to write some of these things down. When when gratitude is expressed, first of all, gratitude displays God's character. When we express gratitude and thanks to God, it shows the world around us the love of God. See, when we express gratitude out of our lips and we start it as the first thing, I'm telling you what, it shows who God is in our lives. It shows how good and awesome God is when praise and gratitude is on our lips. It displays God's character and transformation happening in our lives because a lot of times in our workplaces, in our families, in our neighborhoods, gratitude is not expressed, right? I mean, we got, we're real good at the bickering and complaining, aren't we? Right, And now we, we, we live in a day and age where we can bicker and complain and have all sorts of things on our mouths or all sorts of things coming from our thumbs, right? And so what happens is when you and I express gratitude, When you and I have this kind of thing on our lips that says, man, I'm giving God praise for my family today. I'm I'm thankful I have a job. I'm thankful I have food in my fridge. I'm thankful for the people in my life. I'm thankful for the church that God brought me to. I'm thankful for the parents that raised me. I'm thankful for my grandfather who showed me Jesus. I'm thankful for what it does. It begins to loose the bondage of negativity and doubt and unbelief. And it shows how awesome and good God is when you express his character. And gratitude does that. It's amazing. It just displays his character. It gives people hope. I'll tell you what, man, when you meet someone going through difficulty and going through anguish, when they're having a hard time, and you begin to express gratitude and begin to bring encouragement, it brings hope in people. It distills amazing hope that, hey, you know what? This is not the end. God is with you, man. Look at, the, look at what God's done in your life up to this point. It shows off the character of God. When we express gratitude, it gives hope and it puts hope on display. Practically, it also just keeps us healthy. There's a quote here. People who live with an attitude of gratitude are known to live longer, sleep better, and have increased productivity and happier lives. I just love this. It just keeps you healthy. Why? Well, think about the opposite. When, when you're just like, oh, I hate my life, I hate my family, I hate this. Yeah, it just kind of just shrinks. It just shrinks you, doesn't it? And that's, what, that's what that kind of attitude does. It, it, just, it shrinks your soul. It shrinks your personality. It shrinks those around you. It just does that. It, it doesn't bring life. It brings death. It doesn't bring encouragement. It brings dissatisfaction. And ultimately, it just begins to spread sour type of people. I love it. If you have an attitude of gratitude, you're just known to to live longer, sleep better. It's just just a known thing. That when, when praise and gratitude is something coming out of you in a constant way, it just keeps you healthy. I mean, if we're being honest, it just feels good, too. Gratitude expressed just feels good. 
When you're around people that are, are thankful and grateful, when you're around people that start their life with praise, when you're around people who appreciate you and value you and express how much they mean to you, man, that always feels good. It, it just feels good to be around people like that, that are thankful and grateful for every good gift that God's given them. Lastly, it, it ultimately pr promotes generosity. I mean, if, if you're a person that's, that's grateful, if you're, if you're a person that's expressing gratitude, if you're a person that lives with your hands open, as I've talked about before, and you're just like, man, God, everything I have is a gift and a blessing from you, I'll tell you what, man, you're, you want to give things away. You, you want to give your truck to someone to use. You want to let them stay at your house. You want to bless them this Christmas season. You want to be generous. Why? Because you realize, oh my word, all the things that God has done, everything he has that he's given me is just a blessing and I just want to share it with as many people as I possibly can. And I'll tell you what, that puts on the character of God. In our, in our day and age, what people need more than anything is to see Christ followers displaying this kind of gratitude. What they need is people to be open-handed, loving, and accepting, and welcoming people as people of gratitude and thanksgiving. When, when, you, when you're grateful for what you have, you give more because you realize how much you really do have. You realize how much has been given and blessed to you by God. I want to go back to this, this story just for a minute here in First Chronicles when we think about gratitude being expressed. It says in verse 7, Then on that day, David first appointed that thanksgiving be sung to the Lord. Then on that day, David first appointed that thanksgiving be sung to the Lord. Worship team's gonna, gonna make their way up. We're gonna respond in singing today, but I want, I want you to realize that when you gather in, a, in an environment like a service like this and we sing songs and Different songs are chosen every week, but when we sing, that, that's a form of gratitude. In fact, David was a worshiper of God, and it's cool that gratitude and music go hand in hand in this passage. He's got some people that are just invoking praise and thanks, some people playing instruments, and it's all meant to put God first and give him praise and worship for who he is in our lives. And we're going to have a moment here where we can do this. And, and sometimes in, in these kind of moments, I feel like it's just a great reminder to set our lives in the right course for this coming week. As we know, the, the preparations for Thanksgiving is coming. And maybe you're hosting, maybe you're not, maybe you're traveling, maybe you're staying home. But it, it's going to put us in this right mood. It's going gonna, it's gonna to really invoke in us. I'm not just praising because the song's nice. I'm not just singing because the worship leader's asking me to. I'm invoking gratitude and praise on my lips because that's where I'm supposed to start first. I'm supposed to start there first.
that when I wake up every single day, I'm supposed to start with praises on my lips and worship in my heart. And that, that's a weapon that God gave us. That is. When, when you're going through something and life is beating you down and there's a situation or a storm in front of you, I'll tell you what, when you begin to give God thanks and praise, you put, it puts your eyes back on the living, living God and who he says he is. Now, that's the power of what we do every single week here when we sing these songs. We, we chose this song, Oh, Praise the Name. Can I just throw up a few words on the screen or do we not have that? Maybe we weren't ready for that. Do we have Oh, Praise the Name on here? This is the song we're going to sing here in just a moment. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore. For endless days, we will sing your praise, oh Lord our God. Think about that. That long after you are gone from this life, people will still be singing endless praises to God. Think about this, that right now in this very moment, heaven is singing the praises of God. The Bible says in Revelation that there's angels gathering around the very presence of the risen Savior and they're singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That'll do something in your spirit. That wherever I go and whatever I'm doing right after this service, there's angels, thousands upon thousands of angels singing endless praises to the conquering king who's coming again. That'll turn your heart into gratitude. Ponder that for a while. Think about the power of that praise. You're like, man, we do three songs and I'm already tired. They don't ever stop in heaven, ever. So just right now, it's a simple song. I'm gonna have you close your eyes with me. We're gonna go right into it here. We're gonna get our hearts back in that place of first importance. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Snohomish Sermon Podcast. If you wanna keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.